Hi, I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. We're going to continue a conversation we started in our last episode about how to respond when your child comes out as LGBTQ+. Julie, do you want to reintroduce our guest that we had on our last uh, episode? Sure. Uh, This is Seth Majnoon, and I've known Seth uh, for about maybe five years or maybe six years. I don't know. I start losing track of time, especially with the pandemic. Lost a whole 18 months in there. And I think the best thing to do is to let Seth introduce themselves. And, you know, what I can say from my part is that I have a great deal of respect for Seth's thoughts and the way they articulate those. And I've learned a, a tremendous amount from them in the time that I've known them. Thank you, Julie. I am an artist, educator of youth of various ages, and a a graduate student in cultural studies at New York University. Relevant to this episode, I identify as queer, trans, and non-binary. And can you just tell me, I mean, it's it's common to, to say that a child comes out as gay, but you know, when when you say LGBT LGBT plus, what are some of the other you know situations that our parents are dealing with? Yeah, that plus can be just about anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the umbrella really covers broadly people who do not fit into the fairly recently constructed in the broad scape of history and culture and fairly specifically culturally European views of gender and sexuality. Mm. So it can encompass people who are gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary, bisexual, any other number of ways of uh, describing one's own gender or sexuality, uh, as well as people who are intersex, you know, Mm. people who are asexual, people who prefer to identify as queer more broadly. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a big tent. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tent I like to be in. That's that's actually really helpful, and I I think you know we're sort of continuing a conversation. If you didn't listen to our last episode about how to respond when your child comes out, however they identify, that was kind of the structure of our last conversation. And when we were kind of going back and forth with Seth and sort of talking about these episodes and what we might talk about, Seth came up with this really great list of of fears and myths for parents to consider, which I just thought were great. So I would love to just go through them and, and, and have you sort of expound on what you wrote. And Julie, you know, you can feel free to jump in 
but I just feel like they're really crystal clear and it might crystallize some things for parents who are out there that are, are, are struggling with this now. So the first one you say, the fear. Being LGBT plus is a struggle. And I can't support my child's choice to lead a difficult life. So what is the what's the reality, Seth? So a lot of parents have the reaction of fear that life being gay or trans or however the child identifies will be challenging and dangerous and a struggle and the parent's reaction to that sometimes is to say, well, wouldn't it be easier if you just lived as a cisgender heterosexual person and you just hide who you are so you can have a quote-unquote normal life, Mm. you know? You think about the problems it could cause in their career or in their education, um, and you say why not just avoid all those problems? But those problems can't be avoided by hiding who you are because hiding who you are is unsafe in itself. It is unsafe for... Yeah, what do you mean when you say that? Why is it unsafe? uh, For your mental well-being. Right. I mean, the rates of suicide for LGBT plus people are very, very high and surviving homophobia and transphobia is so much easier when you have your family on your side Mm. and you have a strong support system. When you ask your child to hide who they are, you are pushing them towards a different kind of danger. You know, you're putting them in a situation where maybe they won't be able to rely on you for support and could experience homelessness, which is also very common for LGBT plus youth, could experience trauma and all the struggles that come with that. Um, Whereas if you support them, you are there for them through whatever discrimination they might experience. It's also so important to understand that in addition to the reality of homophobia and transphobia, which is important to acknowledge, there is so much joy that comes from being able to be yourself authentically, to be in love, to express who you are and not have to hide that, to have community. I mean, I personally get so much joy from my queer and trans community. And those people in my life are a huge part of my sense of my family, my sense of where I belong in the world. You know, if I never came out, I would never have fallen in love. I would not have met so many wonderful friends. I would not have gone down the career path that I went down likely, which I find so much fulfillment in. It opens up so many doors just to acknowledge and express who you are. When you're denying who you are, it can close a lot of doors. So to ask your child to do that, 
you might feel like you're offering them an easier road, but you really are closing doors and you're placing in front of them the roadblock of having an unsupportive family, which is one of the biggest challenges that LGBT plus people face. So let's move to an, let's move to another fear or myth that you, you wrote, wrote down. My child is just following trends or copying their friends. Yeah, so I hear this a lot as being LGBT+, plus is becoming higher profile and gradually, bit by bit, more accepted and understood in some parts of society. There are more young people who are coming out, and so sometimes parents will think that their child is coming out only because it's something their friends are doing. They'll see it as like a trendy thing. I have even seen it framed as contagion. Wow. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's a very bigoted attitude. Um, but some people will see, well, their child's best friend starts using they, them pronouns, and then two weeks later, their child is also using they, them pronouns, and their reaction will be to say, well, maybe my child is just trying to fit in with their friends. But in those intervening two weeks, you're not seeing all the conversations with that friend they're having. You're not seeing all the thought they're doing. You're not seeing, you know, their Google searches of what does it mean to use they, them pronouns and all these these things that might click with them and cause them to say, oh, wait, that's how I feel, too. That's how maybe I've always felt or maybe I've been feeling recently or maybe I didn't realize I feel this way or maybe it's something they had already been thinking about and their friend coming out makes them feel like they have space in their friend group also and they know for sure that those friends won't respond in a transphobic way. So it's not that they are deciding to identify that way because it's a trendy thing that they heard from their friend. The reality is that the only way to realize that you identify in a certain way is to see it somewhere else. The only way to get language for something is to hear that language somewhere else. Broadly, seeing people being openly LGBT plus in the media or in friend groups or in the community around them, that will show children and people of all ages that it is possible to feel those ways and identify in those ways and live in those ways. Um, and people will respond to that and they'll realize, hey, that resonates with me. That is how I want to look. That's how I want to be referred to. Um, That's the kind of relationship I want to have someday. Sometimes what I hear from parents is, isn't it confusing to have all of these things to choose from? (laughs) And there's so many things wrong about that that I... You know, we could spend an hour going into that. But my response is, no, I think it's clarifying because they have more language that they can use 
to describe who they authentically are. I feel like it's clarifying, not confusing. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely agree. I think the language around this is ultimately a way of communicating to ourselves and to others realities that would remain true whether or not there was language for them. Rather than it being like, oh, there's this whole new smorgasbord of ways to identify, it's more like we are finding more language to communicate truths about ourselves, which is wonderful. And it stands to reason why maybe more people are coming out because it's just more in the culture now and there's more identifying people now that people can can see themselves in other people. Is that what you're... Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, there have always been people who do not fit those norms of cisgender and heterosexual, which, as I said, are pretty recent constructions. And it's, it's fairly recently that those have been established as the norms. We're now finding more and more ways to respond to those norms and explain the ways in which they don't fit us. Mm. Um, And the more public that conversation is, the more people are brought into it and the more they see themselves reflected and they are exposed to the language that they need to explain things about themselves. Uh, so this is the next fear or myth. Uh, this is just a phase and won't last. I guess some parents feel that way, right? Yeah. I think sometimes this is a hope as much as it's a fear. Um, sometimes I think parents who have some homophobia or transphobia that they have not acknowledged and dealt with, uh, hope that it's something that will blow over, or they see their child as rushing into something. And this can go hand-in-hand with the sense that you know your child better than they know themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, which, as we discussed on our, our previous conversation, is not correct. But... The reality is that some people do change the way that they identify throughout their lives, and they find different language that they want to use to express maybe the same truth, or maybe they realize more about themselves that they weren't aware of, um, or maybe they realize that they had not fully understood themselves at a prior point in their lives. So it's totally possible that, you know, your child will say, hey, I'm bisexual, and come back in a few years and say, actually, I'm identifying as gay now, Mm -hmm. or vice versa. And that doesn't mean that it was a phase. It just is a reflection of the fact that all of us are always learning more about ourselves and finding new ways to explain ourselves to others and to ourselves. And at every point, 
in that process of self-discovery, what we say about ourselves is the truest possible thing for that moment. When your child says they're bisexual, that is the truest possible thing for that moment in their life. If they come back and say they're gay, that is the truest thing for that moment. Um, and it doesn't negate the truth of one thing for another truth to come later. Yeah, and I guess, Julie, would you say it's, it's the parent's job to just show up for that ride wherever it goes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it applies across parenting, whether we're talking about a child's gender identity, sexual identity, interests. So, you know, I I grew up uh, as a ballerina. That was a big identity for me. And, you know, I was a dancer. That was, you know, who I was. I'm not a dancer anymore. I mean, I was, I had a great time. And I, and I can remember, you know, my mother saying in this plaintive kind of whiny voice when I moved up to New York and kind of was petering out on pursuing that saying, well, don't you like to dance anymore? You know, I get that from a parental point of view. She was trying to hold on to what her thoughts about who I was. But as parents, if we're not flexible, I've often said rigidity is the worst thing in parenting. When you become rigid and fixed in your beliefs, you know, both about who you are, who your child is, what everybody, you know, how everybody is relating in the world. If we lose our flexibility, we really are are less effective as parents. We're less appropriate. I mean, it's just, it, it, diminishes us as parents when we fail to be flexible. And, I, you know, what Seth is saying, like, is like, just because a kid says one day or one month or one year that they're bisexual and then comes back and says, no, actually, I'm gay or actually I'm straight, it doesn't negate that piece of, you know, of their past or of their journey, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... Some parents will even reflect on their own life experiences in relation to what their child is saying and will say, oh, well, you know, a mom might say, I had a crush on another girl in college, but I ended up marrying your father. So <laughs> that was just a phase. And it's like, hey, maybe this is really an opportunity to reconsider your experiences in college and think about, like, if that's still part of who you are or has informed who you are, like... Yeah, and it's an evolution of you as a person as, a, as opposed to a, a phase. Absolutely. So here's another one. Um, my A fear or a myth, my trans child, trans uh, child will harm their body with surgery and hormones. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of alarmism about this. Historically, there's a lot of alarmism around this throughout the development of uh, medicine for gender transition, um, but there's also a lot of really high-profile blowback in the media right now against transgender health care. So a lot of parents are seeing rhetoric that describes uh, hormones and surgery for trans people as mutilation, as dangerous, 
And that's just not the reality. It's not accurate. These are very sophisticated medical procedures that are practiced by professional doctors and surgeons who study for many, many years specifically to provide care to trans people. And the, the increasing access that people have to these options is, it's really new and it's really important. Some of the, the political conversation that I'm seeing happening right now is around legislating limits on when and how somebody can access hormones or can access surgery. Mm. Um, and the reality is that we tried having stricter limits than what we have now, and it was dangerous. It was causing people to have more difficulty accessing the medical treatments they needed to live in the way they wanted to live, um, and that was something that led to high rates of suicide, and that led to further discrimination um, and really damaged people's well-being. So it's it's only very recently that, you know, insurance is providing coverage for trans health care. It's only recently that in some places there's an informed consent model where you don't have to jump through as many hoops to get your identity validated and to kind of show that you're trans in the correct way. You mm. can just have conversations with medical professionals to clarify what will happen to your body and they will help guide you to the point that you want to be at. And there are still stricter limits on what is available for minors. If your trans child does want to pursue medical transition, there is a, a degree of time sensitivity, especially when it comes to hormones. Um, so often for, uh, for trans kids who are about to go through puberty or have just started going through puberty, endocrinologists will provide puberty blockers, mm. which just lower the levels of hormones in the body so that... Um, you're not rushing headlong into those huge uh, physical changes, um, which can be really crucial as a pause button to make sure that a child doesn't experience further dysphoria down the line. I think some parents have the reaction of, oh, these are huge medical decisions and... Uh, you're too young to make these medical decisions. It's going to cause problems for your body. But uh, if you're feeling those fears, I would read the medical literature from, you know, reputable medical journals. If you're able to parse that kind of academic language, if you're not, talk with doctors, talk with trans people who have received this health care. And when you're looking, when you're researching these things, be aware of what biases might be coming into it because there is transphobic misinformation out there. There is, there's pseudoscience 
that is being spread around to push a very particular political agenda around this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to really listen to experts who are working in the medical field, being published in peer-reviewed journals, um, right. and what they have to say, which is that these are safe, effective uh, medical procedures that are incredibly helpful for a lot of trans people. And there are also trans people who don't want surgery or don't want hormones or want hormones but not surgery or want some surgeries but not other surgeries. So it's also important to not um, make assumptions right away about what your child will want. Julie, have you had situations, because just listening to you, I mean, that's got to still be a very overwhelming situation for the parent. If your child comes to you and says, I want to do transition therapy and take hormones, have you been in that situation? Because I, as I was listening to this, Seth, I was trying to imagine myself in that situation, and as much as I would want to show up and be supportive, wow, that would be really... That'd be really a lot to take in. And how do you advise parents around that situation? I mean, it seems like what Seth is saying, and this is probably the the case most often, is that kids really know. But what do you what do you say to parents that have come to you and say, my son or daughter wants to transitions and I'm totally overwhelmed and I'm not sure that this doesn't make sense and I, I don't know what to do and they're 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 you know they're every day they're hammering me to do this but it feels like such a big thing to me is it again about it's not about you but still it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal well you know I think I think you know what Seth said really is the the primary thing that I would underscore, which is that, sure, it's, you know, it can be overwhelming to hear that. And, you know, you've thought of your child as a certain way since they were born. And and so there's a lot of kind of overwhelm that occurs. Do your research. Do your research. You know, just as you would research any medical procedure for your child. You know, when kids are little and they have to have tubes put in their ears because they consistently get ear infections. You know, you're not, most people aren't just going to say, okay, you know, they're going to say, well, wait, let me go, let me go in and research what this is about. Is it a safe procedure? What are the benefits? What are the, what are the risks? You know, for me, the risk of the dysphoria that people have when their body doesn't match what they, how they think of themselves is huge. I mean, it, it, you know, as Seth said, that, you know, suicide is really, really high among the LGBT plus community. And it, part of that has to do with that dysphoria. It's like, well, why don't I look the way I feel inside? So, you know, I, I, I warn parents that the risk of not listening to their child, the risk of making ill-informed health decisions on behalf of your child um, because of the misinformation and transphobia and homophobia that are out there, I I just think it's too great a risk to take. I I think that, you know, you could wind up with no child. 
if you're not if you're not listening and you're not trusting them, you know, as we've said between both episodes, trust them. They know themselves. That's pretty great. And that seems to be, you know, Seth has mentioned that a couple of times. They know themselves, right? And it's and it's important to listen to them. So this is the last fear or myth. If you want to speak to this, you say, being LGBT plus means my child is turning away from our religion or culture. Yeah, I think this is a really real concern for a lot of parents. And the reality is, that every LGBT plus person comes from a distinct cultural and family background that is always going to inform who they are in some way, and that includes informing how they understand their gender and sexuality. We're each full people who are not defined solely by one thing in our lives, so especially for, I think, LGBT plus people of faith, uh, navigating our relationship to our religious traditions as well as our gender and sexuality remains a really important thing for many of us throughout our lives. So coming out certainly does not mean that your child is going to move away from their traditions and their cultures. What it might have to mean is taking a step back in certain contexts or doing things differently in certain contexts for their safety and well-being. So if, for example, you go to a church that uh, has a homophobic pastor who is preaching homophobic messages, it might not be safe for your child to be in that environment. And they might need to take a break from religion altogether um, to sort of heal from hearing those messages. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're leaving everything about that experience behind. Or if you are part of a religious tradition that has different gendered ways of approaching worship, your trans child might want to change how they approach worship, or if, if it's difficult to make that happen, they again might have to take a step back. But it's anecdotal, but nearly every single trans person I know, and I know a lot of trans people, is in some way connected to and involved in religious community. It is definitely, these are not mutually exclusive ways of moving through the world, and quite the contrary, I think the ways in which we experience being LGBT+, inform how we experience our faiths and our cultures, and vice versa. I don't think I would be trans in the way that I'm trans if I wasn't Arab. I don't think that I would be Catholic in the way that I'm Catholic if I wasn't queer. It's all a whole ecosystem of existing as a person in the world. Um, and really beautiful things come from that, I think. Yeah, I mean, what what you mentioned, Greg, about going along for the ride is really applicable here, I think. Just be open to the way that 
your child relates to their culture and their cultural traditions, changing and growing and evolving, whether or not they're LGBT+, um, you can always be and your family can always be a link to that cultural background. You know, you can be the connection that will be accepting of your child as a full person, even if they're dealing with the homophobic pastor. I think that's well said. And, you know, kind of going back to what we've said, do your research. There are plenty of LGBT plus people who've written about Judaism, who've written about Christianity and the intersection, who've written about the myriad religious uh, experiences and faiths that are out there. And, and they've written it from the point of view of both. You know, they are both for example, Jewish and LGBT+. They are both trans and Christian. They are both, you know, whatever. There's a lot of writing out there that it's just, you may not, as a parent, you may not have been exposed to it, but this is your kid. They deserve your time and your research before casting any kind of judgments or not being willing, again, kind of talking about flexibility, you know, not being willing to be flexible they deserve your flexibility. Yeah. Seth, I know we did this last episode, but can you just briefly, if there's one thing you want parents to keep in mind in this conversation, if this conversation comes up, if this is an ongoing conversation, can you remind parents what they should hold on to? Yeah. Um, I think, again, listen to your child before you listen to any other resource um, and let let your response to every situation come from compassion for your child first and also do your own research and be aware of what your sources are and what what interests and concerns those sources might be reflecting and just you know remain conscious of what biases are surrounding you what biases are within yourself everything that you and your child are dealing with in the cultural ecosystem around you. Um, and definitely, you know, honor the fact that that can be overwhelming for you as well as for your child. But you can be a support for them, and there are a lot of resources out there that can be a support for you. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at Julie.Ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.